All right. Well, how are you guys doing this morning? Okay. Some of you guys are doing good, and a lot of you guys are quiet, and that's all right. I don't come to church to speak in public unless I'm up here, and then I'm like, oh, I guess it is my job. Uh, but I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, it, was, it was odd last week doing our online service and being like, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us are at church this morning, except that we're all at home, so I don't even know who's here and who's not. It was because we're like together, but not knowing. So it's great to see you guys' faces start the new year. Uh, start another new seating arrangement. Uh, if you hate change, I'm sorry about that. But I kind of, I didn't want to lose the sense of like being a little closer to you guys when I spoke that we had when I, we were like in the middle, but I also didn't want to like preach in a circle like we were doing all of Advent. So I just like was like, hey, can we put like a peninsula out in the middle? I don't know if that's a thing, but anyways, that's what we're up to. Um, but I wanted to say something about two weeks ago, because... Does anybody remember what two weeks ago was? Christmas Eve. And if you were here, especially if you're one of the people that serves, the volunteers at our church, you really remember it because you're probably working very hard at least half of the day, if not the whole day. Because in the morning we had breakfast. And it was funny because we were planning breakfast and uh, the kitchen team was like, hey, how many people should we plan for? I was like, eh, 70, 80. Like, let's make sure we have enough food for 100 just in case. And you guys invited a lot of people. We had 140 people here eating breakfast. A Sunday morning, a normal Sunday morning service is like 120. We had 140 people eating breakfast. And I'm going to talk about numbers for a minute. And you might go, why are we talking about numbers? It's not about numbers, it's about people. But a really wise person once said, every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to Jesus. And so if we have more people with individual names, individual stories, looking to know and follow the God of the universe, have an encounter with him, and see if he is the answer they're looking for in their life, then it's worth celebrating that we get to be a part of that. And so Sunday morning, breakfast was great, and we should give a big hand to the kitchen team that served twice as many people as I said they should be. They did a phenomenal job. But then Sunday evening two weeks ago was Christmas Eve service, and Grant had warned me that there might be a lot of people, and I was like, okay, well, let's set up a lot of chairs. And there were 260 people here. That's more than the number of people, that's more than double what we normally have on a Sunday. So there were a lot of people here. And it was crazy because I talked to a lot of them. I was like, hey, how do you end up here? And there were a few people that said, hey, I was just looking for a Christmas Eve service in mission and I found you guys on the internet and I showed up. And there's others that said, oh, I'm just related to so-and-so, and they dragged me. And you're like, okay, well, I'm sorry that you're related to them. That's rough, but I'm glad that you're here. And there are others where they're like, hey, the guy I play hockey with every week, he's been talking to me about Jesus for four years straight. And the last week or two, I've actually encountered Jesus, and so I wanted to come out to a church service. After the service, Grant gave this invitation. If anybody who wants a Bible, hey, we've got Bibles. 
people took us up on that and got their first Bible. So it's like, yeah, numbers are nice, but the stories of God working through our church community, working through you, as we invite our neighbors, as we invite our friends, as we invite the people we play sports with and say, hey, come and experience God. Get to know Jesus. It might transform your life. It's incredible seeing that actually happen. And I'm grateful to get to be a part of a church where we do that. It's so special. So I just wanted to share that with you before I got into the message this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray real quick. God, we're so thankful that we get to spend time each week looking at Scripture, looking at the Bible, looking at the words that you inspired to be written over thousands of years to reveal who you are, who you created us to be in the relationship you want to have with us. I pray this morning as we dig into a complex topic with a lot of details, that in the midst of all the information, you would speak to our hearts. You would help us see you more clearly and live lives more defined by the reality of the God that we know and we love. Your name, amen. All right, we're starting a new series called Why We Are the Way We Are. And you ever encounter somebody where you're like, why are they that way? Like, what's up with that person? Why, why is so-and-so the way they are? You ever ask that question, right? There's certain people that are a little odd, and you're like, why are they the way they are? Um, it's funny, people, so my parents moved up here, and they started coming to this church as I started working at this church, and people got to know my parents, and they'd be like, so why is Michael the way he is? And my parents would tell them stories, and they'd be like, oh, now we get it, oh my. And like, I worked, I worked as a barista for quite a few years, serving coffee to people. And when you work at a coffee shop, if there's drip coffee, there's like, there's dark roast and there's medium roast. If it's a fancy coffee shop, there's light roast. Even Tim Hortons claims that they have medium roast and dark roast. I can't test the difference. But anyways, you work at a coffee shop, somebody asks for a cup of coffee, you say, hey, do you want medium or dark roast? And some people are like, I just love the flavor of burnt, like you could just throw charcoal in there. I love that even more than coffee. Give me the dark roast. But then there's other people that would occasionally come in and I'd be like, hey, you want medium or dark roast? And I'd be like, oh, it's a dark roast day. I need all the caffeine. Like it's been, like I haven't, like I was at a college and so they're like, I was up all the night writing papers. I need all the caffeine. I was like, why are you the way you are? Because they believe that the darker and the more burnt and the more awful their coffee tasted, the more caffeine it had and the more it would keep them awake. They didn't like the flavor. They weren't into drinking liquid charcoal. They just wanted to stay awake in class, right? But the funny thing was they believed that, but if you actually knew what the deal was with coffee, I'm going to be a coffee snob here for a second. My apologies. Coffee beans start with a lot of caffeine. The more you roast them, the less caffeine there is left. If you drink a light roast, it has a little bit more caffeine. If you drink what they call white coffee, you will be like jittery all day. Um, but because they believe there's more caffeine in dark roast, they were like, oh, it's a, I need dark roast today. I need to drink the burnt crisp that's left over. And that's why they were the way they were. Because what we believe leads to both how we act and who we become. 
And so our series, Why We Are the Way We Are, is looking at the beliefs that we hold as a church community and saying, okay, what are these beliefs that are leading to the actions we take and who we are becoming? Because sometimes we'll get so focused on different things and we forget the basics of our beliefs. And as a church community, we have a statement of our beliefs that we call a confession of faith. It's called a confession because, like, you ever see a big business release a press release and they're like, here's our statement on this. And that's just the words that they feel like they should say. Whereas a confession is, this is what's inside of me, whether it's good or bad, it's what comes out because it's at the core of my belief, right? And so we have a confession of faith from a Mennonite perspective that we hold as a church community. It has 24 different confessions. And that's a lot of confessions and they have a lot of information in each of them. And so we're going to work through six over the next six weeks. And then next year we'll work through six more. And next year we'll work through six more. And so over four years we'll get through the whole thing and then we'll start over again. Because in four years you'll probably be like, oh, oh yeah, that is what it says. But there's a lot of information in this. I'm just going to warn you. I didn't want to be a college professor or a lecturer, but there's a lot of information, so I'm going to do my best with it. But if you have questions come up along the way, because I'm going to be kind of skimming along the surface, and you're like, hey, hold on a sec. If you have a question along the way, text or email that question to me. My number is up there on the screen. I forgot to put my email, but my email is michael at cedarvalley.ca. And on the seventh Sunday of the series, we're actually going to do a question and response time. And so Pastor Grant and I are going to work through some of the questions you ask. So if you have any questions anytime, the number's going to be up there the whole time. Just text it in or email me, and we'll collect those because we want to cover some of the important details. So anyways, that's what we're doing here. Why we are the way we are, working through our profession of faith from a Mennonite, confession of faith from a Mennonite perspective, and the first, the first confession is a really simple one. It's God. Can you summarize all your beliefs in God in one paragraph? They tried. They tried. Let's see what we have written down here. We believe that God exists and is pleased with all who draw near by faith. We worship the one holy and loving God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally. God has created all things visible and invisible has brought salvation and new life to humanity through Jesus Christ and continues to sustain the church and all things until the end of the age. So it's only a paragraph long and it's very, and they pack in everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time walking through each phrase and where it comes from, a little bit of what inspired it to be written in our confession of faith and then we're going to look at, at the end of that, we're going to kind of look at how does actually believing this form you? How is that affecting how you live your life and who you are becoming? So the first phrase is, we believe that God exists. Just a nice, casual, huge belief statement. Because there's many people in the world that believe that God doesn't exist. Maybe you're even one of those, and you're like, I'm here at church because I want to find out more about this God that I don't believe in. And if you're in that place, I'm glad you're here because you're in the right place to learn more about this God you don't believe in. But we believe that God exists. And there's different reasons people come to this belief. Sometimes somebody will study philosophy quite a bit, and there's a lot of different philosophies, 
but many of them point to a belief in a higher power and some God out there, maybe even the God of the Bible. As you wrestle with philosophy and reason, it can often lead you to a belief that there is a God. Others look at the natural world around them. You go, that doesn't make sense. The more you study science, the more you study the natural world and how it's supposed to work, the more you discover its complexity. You go, this doesn't, as much as it's the natural world, it's unnatural that it all works. It's unnatural that it's so complex and orderly when the laws of science say that things are supposed to go from order to disorder. That's great. I see how my house and my car go from order to disorder. But then how did the natural world go from disorder to order? Like, there's certain questions you'll run into as you study the natural world that go, there's so much that it explains, but then there's certain things that are outside of nature. So maybe there's something supernatural. Maybe there's a God. Many people who engage in science come to that belief where they're like, okay, as much as I love science, clearly it points to some things that are outside of that. But for most people I know, at the core of their faith and the belief in the existence of a God is some sort of personal experience of God. Some moment where they said, maybe they threw, like, I know so many people who threw that prayer out there of, hey, God, if you're out there, do something to show me that you're out there. And if they say, hey, God, if you're out there, make a million dollars show up in my bank account. If there's a God out there, he's like, I'm God. You can't just make me give you money. But if they say, God, if you're out there, give me a sign. And God's shown up in so many different ways. I know people where they've had visions of God, and they're like, that's weird. I'm not a spiritual person. I don't have visions, but I just had a vision of a God. Huh. Okay. There's others where they say, God, if you're out there, and then there's a series of coincidences that start to stack up until they're like the mathematical odds of these coincidences happening in a row seem like there's somebody controlling things. Maybe this is a sign of that God. I remember recently one of my experiences was I was having a real hard time finding clarity in a work situation. Uh, it was a few years back, to be clear. But I was having, clar having a hard time finding clarity in a work situation. And I was like, hey, God, I cannot decide. Please make it clear. And within a week, my employer made it clear. It was not super pleasant. I was like, God, should I stay or should I go? And I was on the fence. And then my employer said, go. And I was like, ouch. And it took me like three months to connect the dots of, wait, I prayed the prayer, God, make it clear. And he made it clear when this had been going on for years. This had been going on for like a full year. And in less than a week, I got the clarity I asked for. But we believe that God exists. And we can look to reason and logic and natural evidence and science. But at the core of it, for most of us, there is a personal experience that anchors that. And if you want to go deeper on that, there's some amazing books. Just a couple of them are The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, The Problem of God by Mark Clark, and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, on the community group discussion sheet in the lobby, those are listed out in the resources section. If you want to go deeper in the reason to believe God exists. But we believe God exists. The next statement is, God is pleased with all who draw near by faith. And this is a statement that I've skimmed over so many times. 
where I'm like, oh, we believe that God is pleased that people draw near by faith. That's nice. But then as I was writing this message, I was like, that's actually pretty interesting. That God's not unaffected. That God's not just like, oh yeah, believe in me if you want. Ignore me if you want. But God actually is pleased. God is happy when people come draw near to him by faith, when people get to know him, when people come closer to him and have a relationship with him. Hebrews 11 verse 6, the author of Hebrews says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That God actually created us to know him and be close to him. The next statement is, we worship the one holy and loving God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally. If you're good at paying attention to the numbers there, we worship the one holy and loving God. So there's one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally. That math is a little uh, complicated. There's one and three. So welcome to trying to understand a higher power. Welcome to trying to understand a God who is not at a human level of comprehension. <laughs> that God is one and also three. It's interesting because throughout the Bible, as God starts to describe who he is and, and interacts with humanity, that the beginning of the Bible, a lot of the conversation is, there is one God. There's not many gods because the, the culture at the time that God was interacting with Often there was a belief that there was a God of the, this, and there was a God of that, and there was a God of another thing. And there's a bunch of gods that are all warring for power. And the message that the God of the Bible was bringing that was radical was there's one God. But then as you walk through the story of the Bible, this one God starts to interact with humans and say in different ways and different persons. And so you encounter this God who's like a father or a mother. You experience this God who comes as a human and lives with us, fully God and fully human, who's Jesus, who describes himself as a son in relationship to the Father. And God models his love for us by saying, I want to adopt you as my children and love you just as much as I love my son. I want to have that same relationship. And through the person of the father and the son, we see that relationship. And then as the son is ascending back to heaven, he says, I'm sending my spirit to live with you and empower you. That God doesn't want to be separate from us, but God wants to live with us and work through us, live in us through his spirit. And so we discover that as we walk through the Bible, and it's summarized really well by Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth. At the end of the letter, he's just writing a nice little greeting to wrap it up. And he says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we see that our one God who is in three different persons we experience in three different persons where it's like there's a unique way that the life of Jesus on earth communicates God's grace. We celebrated that two weeks ago with Christmas of Christ arriving. You can read the whole story of his life and what that means in the book of Mark or the book of Luke. 
but there's a unique grace that he communicates through his life on earth. The love of the Father throughout the Bible is seeing the love of the Father and how he loves us like children. There's a unique way that he communicates his love through the Father relationship. And then there's a unique way that the Holy Spirit can actually be with us. That, there are fr- that we can encounter God and live with God with us every moment of our life. So now the next statement. This is a lot of ground to cover. I warned you. God has created all things visible and invisible. We touched on this a little bit earlier. But if the beginning of the Bible, the first book in the Bible is the book of Genesis. And the first couple of chapters describe God forming the universe into what it is. That God created all that's visible and also invisible. He created all the physical world and also all the spiritual world. And he created humans in the center of that and breathed his life into us. The next phrase is, has brought salvation and new life to humanity through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's summing up a lot in a really short space. Uh, again, reading one of the Gospels like Luke or Mark is a great way to see the full story of how God did this. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, kind of summarizes it. In Romans chapter 3, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Everyone has done things that are wrong. Everyone has done things that hurt themselves or those around them. As much as we try not to, we do. We fall short of God's glorious standard. We fall short of being perfect. We can be pretty good, but not perfect. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty, the consequence of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his goodness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And that's summing up a lot of things. But we believe as a church community that God has brought salvation, new life to humanity through Jesus Christ. And finally, we believe that God continues to sustain the church and all things until the end of the age. And that's an interesting one because often we can think of God as God created the universe and then he just stepped back and was like, well, let's see what happens. Oh, they're fighting each other. They're killing each other in war. All these things are going wrong. Oh, maybe I should fix that. And so then he sends Jesus to die for our sins and give us the opportunity to make our relationship right with him. And then we go, okay, well, he did that. And then he stepped back again. And, you know, like, it's up to them to take it or leave it. And the world's probably going to burn up, but hopefully they make it out. No. We believe in a God who continues to stay involved. And he actually holds the future in his hands. The passage that describes our current moment, what we're walking through right now, not as the end of the story, not as everything has been made right, not as this is God's perfect plan for the future, but that we're in the pains of childbirth. If you've ever had the privilege, the honor of being in the room or maybe being the person in the midst of childbirth, 
It is not a pleasant place. It is a place of pain. It is a place of struggle. It is a place of going, I don't know if this is worth it. And so God says, I hold the future in my hands. And right now, it's like the pain of childbirth. It's the struggle of childbirth. Things are going wrong still. But this is the process of bringing new life. This is the process of bringing a new heaven and a new earth where we live perfectly with God. And there's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more brokenness or hurt or death. But when we're sitting in that moment, we can either freak out of, this is, I don't know if this is going right. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Or we go, no, this is a God who says, I hold the future. And all of this statement is, all of this confession is a really interesting, challenging statement. And we're dealing with a tension here. The authors of the confession wrote a commentary to go along with it where they say, hey, here's some of our thoughts as we wrote this. And so one of the authors of this confession said this, God both surpasses human understanding. God surpasses our understanding and is also truly knowable through revelation. Our knowledge of God rests in this tension. Our knowledge of God rests in this tension that God is unknowable because he's so far beyond us, but he also wants us to know him. I don't want this to come off as a crass illustration, but I think it kind of shows the gap, the divide between us and God. Because if you have a pet, like, I don't know if you're a dog person or a cat person. I'm a dog person, but you can apply this to your cat if you don't like dogs. I'm sorry that you're a bad person, don't like dogs. But your dog can't comprehend you. They cannot understand why you leave them every day for eight hours and then come home again and act like you love them. They're like, why did you leave me for eight hours? Except they're a dog, they still love you. They're not a cat where they're bitter for an hour. They don't comprehend that you're going to work to make money to buy their expensive food and buy the bed, a new bed because they ripped up their old bed because they're a dog, right? But you want your dog to know you. You want your dog to know that you love them, that you would do anything for them, even pay thousands of dollars in vet bills because they tried to eat a football and that did not go well for them, right? You want them to know that they can trust you but they have a dog brain and you have a human brain and they can't comprehend the words you speak, let alone everything that you do with your life and how that all works. And if God is truly God of the universe, not just another human like us, it's kind of like us trying to communicate with a dog where it's like, I, you, I can tell you exactly what I, what's going on, but you can't comprehend it, but I want you to know me. And so the whole story of the Bible is God saying, I'm putting into words that you can understand, into experiences that you can understand, and interacting with humans to say, this is who I am. I want you to know me, even though I'm unknowable. That's the crazy thing, is that God, the unknowable, wants us to know him. And the statement points to specifically, he wants us to know him as creator. He wants us to know him as our savior. And he wants us to know him as the one that holds the future. And when you start to believe that, it shifts your perspective. 
It shifts how you live your life, and it also changes who you become. When you believe in God as your creator, it shifts your perspective on ownership, on purpose, and the intention for your resources. Because when you don't know God as creator, you're like, I worked hard to get all the stuff I have in my life. The money, the house, the car, the truck. I worked hard for everything I have. I earned it. It's mine to do whatever I want with it. And maybe I'm a nice person, so I take care of my friends and family with the stuff that I have. But your concept of ownership is, I, this is mine. When you believe, though, that God's creator, you go, God created everything in existence, including all the resources I have. He created all the money I have. He created all the food I have. He created the house that I have. Like, we formed it into what it is, but he started the process. And he also created me with the body that I have, with the breath inside my lungs to live the life that I do where I can actually form this and earn this money and live this life. And so suddenly you go, God's given me all these resources. God's even given me the breath in my lungs. What am I going to do with what he gave me? What am I going to do with God, the part of God's universe that he's entrusted to me? You get a sense of responsibility to actually live well with that. And you go, what was God's purpose for this and how can I live that out? And when you truly believe that God is the savior of humanity, the savior of you, that shifts a lot of things in your perspective. Because naturally as humans, we look at the people around us, we even look at ourselves, and we kind of go, there's good people and there's bad people. There's good things and there's bad things. Like whenever you have a boss, you kind of label your boss, do I have a good boss or do I have a bad boss? Or do I have a really bad boss? When you look at yourself, you go, am I a good person or am I a bad person? And you try to, often you kind of try to create this like balance of being this teeter-totter and you try to figure out where the middle is to go, okay, am I a good person or a bad person? How do I justify and argue my way into saying I'm a good person, even though I know some of the bad things I've done that seem like they might not be that forgivable, but also I'm a lot better than the person next to me and that person people think is a good person. And we get caught in this process of trying to find ourselves and those around us as good or bad and you, it's pretty hard to ever really settle on that. What's good enough? What's too bad? And it points to this reality that we know that there are bad things we do that we can't undo. There are times that we hurt ourselves. We hurt the people around us. We hurt the creation that God's given us in ways that we can't undo it. As much as we try, once those words are spoken, we can't heal the wound that we created. We can make things better, but we can't heal it. And we're stuck in that reality, and we want to escape it. But there's no escape in our own power. But when we know God as Savior, he says, I get it. I created you. I get that you create brokenness and harm and hurt that you can't undo but I love you so much and I want what's best for you. And so I will save you from that. And I will make right what you can't make right. I will undo the harm that you can't undo. I will heal what you can't heal. And so instead of living in this place of 
wrestling with their own self-image of am I a good person or am I a bad person, instead of judging the people around us as they're a good person, they're a bad person. They're a good person. They deserve only good things. They're a bad person. The worst things can happen to them. Instead, we start to see each other as humans who all want to do good, all unfortunately do bad things, but we all have the opportunity to know a God that can heal what's gone wrong. My bad boss and my good boss, both are imperfect people that need Jesus in their life. Whether I've lived a mostly good life or a mostly bad life, I'm an imperfect person that needs Jesus to heal what has, I have done wrong in my life. And he is more than happy to do that. And finally, when you believe in God as the one who holds the future, it really shifts your perspective on control and responsibility and surrender and hope. Because if you're honest, you spend a lot of your life trying to control things that are uncontrollable. Whether that's the emotions of your child or your spouse, and you're like, hey, they're in a bad mood. I'm going to make them happy. No, you can't make them happy. You can't even control that. You can try. You might succeed, but you can't control it. I'm going to control my finances. You can make choices about what you do with the opportunities you have, but there's things totally outside your control, like, you know, a pandemic that can radically shift your finances for better or for worse, and you have no control over it. But when we believe, but when we find ourselves in a place of believing, oh, God did this and God did that, but now he's let go, and it's up to us to survive, we're, we find ourselves orienting our lives around controlling the future and feel this responsibility that I've got to take care of myself and my own. Whereas if we believe that God is honest when he says we're in the pains of childbirth, but he holds the future, he will sustain and he'll bring a new heaven, a new earth. Then suddenly you go, okay, I know how, the, how it's going to turn out. Instead, I can actually be present in this moment and live the life that I was created for and not worry about, okay, but what about my bank account 12 months from now? What about this person that is mad at me and I feel like I can't fix it? What do I do to fix that? Because we often find ourselves... But when we don't trust God to hold the future, we often find ourselves in places where we are um, going, I know what God, how I'm the right thing to do, but if I do the wrong thing, then I can actually get the right result. <laughs> trying to think of a specific way of putting it, but I need to control my kid. I need my kid to be happy. The right thing is to be a good parent. The wrong thing is sometimes to bribe them the wrong way or threaten them the wrong way to get them to act happy, right? But you're tempted to when you're like, I need to control this. We go, no, God's got control of the future. I can't control how my kid turns out, but I can be, do the right thing. When God calls you to obedience, because some directions that God gives make sense. Like when God's like, hey, don't murder, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. That's a pretty reasonable thing not to murder people. And then God also gives directions on how we're to practice our sexuality. And we're like, uh, why do you care how I practice sexuality? It doesn't make a difference to you, God. Like, you created me and you designed me, but like, really? You have limits on this? You're trying to control me just doing what makes me happy? And if you feel like you need to control your future and your happiness, then you just go, I, your, your rules are dumb. I'm doing my own thing. 
when you go, God holds the future. He knows what's going to happen. And he's given me directions for how to live in the present. I can surrender and be obedient and let go and be present in the purpose that God gave me. That's going to change things. That radically changes how you live your life. That radically changes who you become. And so really, I want to encourage you as we walk through this statement. There's a couple things. One, God wants you to know him. He knows that he's beyond our comprehension, yet he has spent thousands of years revealing himself. The Bible is a record of God showing up in human lives, human experiences saying, here's who I am. I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to cross this divide. He wants you to know him. But I also want to challenge you as we walk through these statements, these confessions, there's things that you're like, yeah, I've always believed this in my head, but I don't know if I know it in my heart. Let God start working in your heart. Spend some time in prayer going, God, I know this in my head, but I need you to form this belief in my heart and how I live my life. And also, if you run into things where you're like, hey, that's a nice idea, but I don't think I even believe it, wrestle with it. Because what you believe shapes not just what you do, but who you become. And I would love to be a church that becomes like Jesus. As we follow Jesus, that we become more and more like him. And we live lives more like him. And that's what we're called to. So I just want to read this belief statement one more time. We believe that God exists and is pleased with all who draw near by faith. We worship the one holy and loving God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally. God has created all things visible and invisible, has brought salvation and new life to humanity through Jesus Christ, and continues to sustain the church and all things until the end of the age. When we believe that, when we live that, we get to live a different life. We get to live the best life, I believe. Let's close in prayer. God, it's intimidating sometimes wrestling with trying to understand you. Sometimes it's difficult and we just want to give up. Sometimes it challenges how we live our life and who we are right now and we don't want to change and let go. I know for myself, my whole life has been a wrestle with surrender to you. A wrestling match over whether you actually hold the future. But I pray that you would work in our hearts this week. I pray that you would work in our minds this week. If the struggle is in our minds, that you would help us find answers and new thoughts. If the struggle is in our hearts, that you would give us new feelings, that you would give us experiences that open us up to who you are and who you want to make us become. I pray that we become a church that is formed more and more by you and less and less by the world and the beliefs and the culture around us. That we would live in the true reality, not in the facade of false beliefs that our culture makes up to just get through every day. That we experience the new life that you have for us. In your name, amen. All right. That was a long message, so I said, hey, let's not do a song at the end. So this is the end of the service, but I'm so glad you're here. Um, there's coffee out in the lobby. If you're new here, we'd love to get to know you. Um, and if you have any questions, there's somebody with, find somebody with a white lanyard. 
uh, tag, and they should know or figure out all the answers. Uh, with that being said, have a great Sunday.